0: Hello and welcome to a new episode of Downstream, Navara Media's interview series examining all things politics, culture, and political culture. It's basically Frost v Nixon if both Frost and Nixon were played by Muppets. That's the vibe. Um, I am beyond... to introduce this week's guest. She is an accomplished vocalist, a show director, a seamstress. She can do things with her hip flexors that I can't even pronounce. And unless you've been living under a rock for the last year, you'll also recognize her from the very first season of RuPaul's Drag Race UK, where she came first runner up and was never, not once, in the bottom two, as far as I can tell. Davina De Campo. Welcome to the show! Hi!
1: Hiya! You're bloody right about calling me a Muppet. Here I am.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's got to be a Muppet to appear on Navarro Media. People with discernment and judgment don't end up here. <laughs> I mean, how how are you doing? Because everyone talks about 2020 being a wild year and then 2021 comes in just straight huffing glue.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's the whole this whole year has been crazy and then we're what eight days in nine days in and it's already absolutely bonkers we've got people in america breaking into capitol hill and um and you can see the pathway to that here as well you know um so yeah we're we're in for a wild ride i think (laughs)
0: I love how we've got like literally like a communist talking to Marie Antoinette in a shell suit, and that's actually one of the saner elements of this year. <laughs>
1: <laughs> like, oh, that makes total sense. Just don't smoke around me. That's what I'm saying. Don't don't light any cigarettes or any no naked flames. <laughs> I, I know I'd be like a '90s nightmare. I mean, I pretty much am a '90s nightmare. But, you know. <laughs>
0: I mean, I can imagine, like, if I'd bumped into you on my acid trip, just being like, oh, wow. <laughs> like, I have fully fallen off the face of the planet. Um, I mean, for the sake of transparency, I should probably say that I was Team Davina for your season of Drag Race. And for me, it started when you came out and there was that first look, which was about representing your hometown, I think. And you had these trumpets coming out of your tees. Yeah. And what it struck me as is that it was a real celebration of, like, northern working-class industrial culture. So it was, like, tea shop, on acid, miners, brass bands, all of that. Yes! And I thought, like, I hadn't seen drag from this country which represented that aspect of British working-class history. Was that, like, a conscious thing for you?
1: Well, like, Brickhouse is very much that. Like, it is a real working-class... um and an industrial town, you know, it's it's suffered uh, from all of the '80s malarkey that went on, um, and and the, and that's its roots. And it's famous for a brass band, um, and which is obviously where the, the brass band comes from. You know, they were in brassed off, and they they literally world famous in in the brass circles. <laughs> the Brucarson Brass Band. Um, you know, so that was where that came from. And then uh, I was just pulling elements of um, Brighouse and, and its history in there. So, you know, around my neck, I had this brass um, canal barge because Brick is, uh, was became an industrial hub because of the canals. And without the canals, Brickhouse wouldn't have grown up into the little town that it, it became. Um, and the house that I grew up in actually was built by a mill owner as well. So one of the owners built the house that I grew up in, in 1875. So, you know, I have these real strong links to that industrial part of um, Brighouse's history. And then, of course, we're surrounded by Bradford, Halifax, Huddersfield and all of those mill mill towns as well.
0: Do you consider yourself to be a political person? Because I listen to that and I go, that is such... A political history of the place that you come from. Yeah, Do you know what I mean. Not like party political,
1: but it's saying
0: like I align myself with this certain class of people.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I can't say that I am from a working class background. I'm not. We were we were really lucky. Like the house I'm talking about, it was a mill owner's house. That's somebody who's got some <laughs> money, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> so you know. Dad was a doctor, mum was a nurse. Both of them are educated. Both of them had been to university. All of us have been to university, all seven of us. Um, But we very much went to schools that were very mixed. So it wasn't like, oh, these are all middle class, you know, Mm. easy life kids. Absolutely not. Um, It was a very, very broad mix of kids that I was mingling with. Um, and, And so, you know, I really Understand what that's like, and just because we were in that house also doesn't mean that everything was easy. You know, when, as most people's parents did through the nineties, when they uh, broke up, when their marriage dissolved, um, you know, we were we were on eight p loaves of bread and three p noodles. You know, that's, you know, so we were we were really on on the the edge of of things. You know, try, Mum was doing her absolute best to make, um, make ends meet. Very, very difficult. Um, I
0: mean, so what was it like growing up in Brighouse, going to school and also like knowing that there were things about you in terms of your sexual identity, your gender expression, which marked you out as different?
1: Yeah, I mean, I was always campus tits. Like I'm, you know, I am the the veritable row of tents, the stereotype. I loved Barbara Streisand and Judy Garland ever since I was tiny. I don't know whether it was her wonky eye or whether it was just her singing. I don't know. But I... (laughs) I, I have always been that, you know, stereotype of, oh, there's a gay person. Um, so, you know, Julian Clary was like me, but, oh, there's, there's somebody doing what actually I would really like, you know, that's, that's me. Um, and growing up in a place like House, which has, um, a tendency to be quite inwards looking, um that's not always that easy you know with those little towns where you grow up there you get a job in the town you work in the town you live in the town you don't leave the town why would you leave the town stay in the town the town (laughs) everything's about the town Um, it's like interviewing lisa nandy i I hope i've got better eyebrows (laughs) You know, it's very like that. Um, And for somebody who doesn't fit into uh, those pre-prescribed, this is what men do, this is what women do, this is how men behave, this is how women behave, this is how you're supposed to live your life. Um, For somebody who, from just a really, really early age, clearly does not fit in with those um, predetermined roles, it, it was very difficult it, it was genuinely very difficult
0: it's also that thing of coming out from the 80s and that huge homophobic backlash you know precipitated by the AIDS crisis something that my mum uh, said to me she was terribly disappointed when I came out as straight she was like not even a little bit bi-curious she was like <laughs> here I am like feminist open inclusive mother and I've raised like two heterosexual girls this is <laughs> this is awful when my stepbrother came out she was punching the air she was like at last I can prove myself but one thing one of the things that she said was that in the 90s as a parent you had no idea how to safely socialize your gay or queer child into their identity and their sexuality. Whereas there's a pathway for straight kids, like there's your school discos and you go to Nando's for your day, and, da, 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 and you can do that safely. Whereas if you're a parent of, of you know, a, a queer kid, particularly then, because it was seen as like predatory or like, you know, somehow dirty or wrong or dangerous, there was just not that obvious thing for parents to help their kids grow into
1: themselves yeah very that and I think um when I did come out I was 14 so I'm still very young um we were on holiday uh in Ibiza um probably you know maybe not the easiest best time for me to do that but oh well um
0: (laughs) but you were 14 what were you
1: supposed to do like have the Poirot gather everyone in the library yeah I mean maybe (laughs) right Come into the lobby, everybody. <laughs> I've got an announcement. Uh, no, so I, I, that was definitely something that my mum really struggled with. And I think that that's, you know, she reacted really badly. Um, and I think she would f- fully admit that she reacted very badly. Um, we haven't talked about it, but I think I think she'd admit that. Um, and, I, and I think that that is a big part of the reason why. Because, you know, she, she was born in the 50s. It's still illegal to be gay. She's, um, seen the way that people treat gay people. Then the AIDS crisis happens. So that's like still fresh in everybody's mind. Who is that generation? Um, and then your, your son says, oh, I'm gay. And you think, right. He's going to end up dead on a a hospital bed, isolated from everybody. Great. Um, so I, I think for her, that was a, a real struggle to sort of work out how, how do I, um, How do I support my kids in a world which will not be kind?
0: And I think in some ways, my mum had a different. She knew she had to raise me to be brown, right? She's brown, I'm brown, so she's like, the world's going to hate you, here's what you need. Whereas I think if you're a straight parent, you're raising a gay child, and you don't necessarily have those reference points for this is like the armour that you need, and this is what's going to protect you and, and keep you feeling proud in who you are then, yeah, it must be really confusing. I mean, you've you've done work in schools. Do you see a difference now for those kids who are different or do you still think it's pretty bad, it's pretty hard?
1: In in the schools where the work is being done, um, absolutely yes. It is a completely different scenario for those kids. Um, So the last school that I was working in, you know, properly working in, they really did do the work. Um, It was a very uh accepting and loving um a, a real c- kind of community spirit in the school like it out of everywhere that I've worked it really felt like a family you know the, the school felt like a family and um so of course you know people still fall out and there's arguments and disagreements but that's family um but everybody everybody was kind of supporting each other and when I got any homophobic abuse from anybody. The kids were outraged about it. Um after I'd left, the deputy headmistress was talking to them about um how I'd got married um a couple of years ago and, and before then it, it wasn't it wasn't legal for me to get married. And they were like, what are what are you talking about? Mm. What do you mean gay people couldn't get married? That's insane. Who would who would do that? Why why would that be a thing? That's ridiculous. You know, so for them, it wasn't even on their radar um, to be homophobic. You know, obviously some kids were, but um, the majority of the school were great. But having said that, you know, probably three years prior to that, I'd been working in schools where absolutely the work was not being done. And uh, and it would have still been a really, really difficult experience for um, kids in in those schools.
0: I mean, you know because I went to schools like early 2000s that's when I was at school and I went to an all-girls school which was like a hormone nuke going off yeah, all the time
1: that sounds like like
0: grateful. it was and it was also like because it's all girls and you know just estrogen flooding your body like it was in one way like weirdly highly sexualized, like you'd round a corner and girls like, "Do you want to see my tits?" Then you know, they're new, they just grew yesterday. But also at the same time, like <laughs> really homophobic, like the worst thing you could be was suspected of being a lesbian or fancying other girls. And I remember finding that confusing at the time, and and you know, it was a pretty you know, an interesting journey for me to heterosexuality. But then I just thought, what must it it have been like for a girl who is sort of, you know, growing into their sexuality, having these feelings, and it's this, like, two things turned up to 11. Like, one is, like, you know, constant bodies and closeness, and the other is, like, very extreme, violent regulation of what's okay and what's not okay.
1: Yeah, and I think... Okay, so I think that there's a major problem in our school system anyway. I think the the deregulation of it is really damaging to lots of kids in lots and lots of ways. I think having um, religious schools and academies which don't have to follow a set, uh, because they don't have to follow the the curriculum in the same way, um, which means that they don't have to teach about uh, gay people or about lesbianism or trans people, in the same way that a, a normal state school would would do, um, and I think that that's really damaging because it doesn't. It allows too much um, of the head teacher or the academy heads agenda, um, and that damages people who are in a minority. It allows. Um, that fostering of misunderstanding to to happen. Um
0: I mean you can see that with trans rights in particular like we're at this moment of backlash. Yeah. And you've got the government, you know, u-turning on amendments to the GRA, you've got a kind of renewed moral panic about changing rooms and toilets and you've also got this sense of You know, particularly if you're a trans woman, you can't win. If you want to transition when you're young and access hormonal treatment, you've got court rulings saying that's going to be a lot more difficult. And then if you transition when you're older and perhaps your facial features aren't so like traditionally feminine, you will be seen as like, you know, kind of a pervert, you know, a man in a dress and like demonized for it. What role do you think something like Drag Race has? In helping along the cause of trans rights in particular. Woo! Oh, there it
1: is. There's the bomb. <laughs> there- <whoosh>. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me what you think about that. Hey. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, I'm. I'm just going to also go back to uh, trans women can't win, um, because if they, if they do all the things that a woman is supposed to do, and you've got the long hair and the eyelashes and the big tits and this, and and you're overly sexualized, then you're a parody.
0: Mm.
1: And it, if you don't do enough of that, then you're a failure. So whether whether you transition early or late, either way, people are gonna be criticizing you because you are trying too hard to, that horrible phrase, pass, or, mm. not hard enough, you're too, too manly, you're too feminine, you're too, you know, um, and it's, it's all the same arguments that we heard in the 80s about um, lesbian and gay people. Mm. And it's just repackaged for another, and it's a, easier, it's an easier way of doing it. Okay, so... <laughs> okay so the contentious bit okay so drag race and trans issues and how does it help I'm not sure it does um honestly I'm not sure that trans that trans issues and um and the struggles that trans people go through are helped actually by drag race um I think that there's there's already a misconception in the general public about um drag and trans um that uh, a if you're a a drag queen you must be trans or if you are trans that you are not able to do drag or you are in fact just doing drag um because i think that there's not enough information out there about the the differences between sexuality gender and gender identity because gender and gender identity are not necessarily the same thing either um You know, when I talk about gender, I'm talking about the social construct, the idea that this is what a man should do and this is what a woman should do. And that to me is false and it always has been false. But it's been something that's been put into uh, the way that we organise our society by other forces. Maybe the church and maybe some (laughs) religions. I don't know. Maybe I do know. Maybe (laughs) that's exactly where it's come from. Um, (laughs) and, And so uh i I'm not sure that drag race does as much as it could to um to challenge some of those uh issues and problems and and enough to educate people about it you know I talked about being non-binary when I was on the show but you don't see any of that um because it's not a conversation that that they were wanting to have at that point.
0: Because that's something that I kind of wanted to raise about, in particular, the UK. Because in the UK, liberals and feminists see trans rights as so much more contentious than their counterparts do in, say, America or even Ireland, where the idea of trans rights is kind of, you know, that bit more normalised. And you think then about the particularities of UK you know, drag culture as entertainment, it was very much, you know, pantomime dame, you know that there's a difference between the man playing the character and the character. And so then when you take the example of Eddie Izzard who very recently has said, I want to be addressed with, you know, feminine pronouns, she and her, lots of people who were big supporters of Eddie Izzard when he was just man in a dress now When she wants to be taken seriously in her gender identity, it's unacceptable. So thinking about the limitations of Drag Race, is it because it's entertainment? So it's not unboxing, um, you know, gender subversion from entertainment for cisgender straight people.
1: I think that's a very kind um, interpretation. I'm not sure that's necessarily true. I think that there is a lack of will. Actually,
0: mm.
1: um, in the upper echelons, um, to to talk about that stuff, and I think some of that is because it is contentious, because it is difficult, because it is thorny, and it's easier to just go, okay, we'll not talk about that. Actually, um, when actually there is there is so much good that it could be doing um, that it's it's choosing not to.
0: I mean, do you think that you being non-binary is more contentious than you doing drag, that one is seen as kind of more subversive or dangerous or weird than the other?
1: i th- I think mm, it's difficult there's a There's a point in a lot of people's lives where um where once they were pushing boundaries, um where they become comfortable and they no longer see that there are any boundaries, because their life is comfortable. Um, and, and so you forget that actually your experience is not the same as everybody else's and, uh, not everybody else, um, has the opportunities that you do. And just because you managed to make it through the rat trap, it doesn't mean that those other people didn't work just as hard, but just weren't given the same opportunities. Um, and I think that there is an element of that oh my god this is this is gonna get me blacklisted (laughs) I
0: mean I mean I, I think I think it's important because I'm not trying to say like oh oh there's a RuPaul industrial complex but you know through those seasons of drag race you know drag has itself become this huge commodity and a kind of global industry and look at the target audience right you know I'm a prudish heterosexual living in zone three and I'm like yeah it's queen like you know I'm the audience of basics that's like (laughs) loving it and eating it up but that's also constraining because it says that to be successful as a drag artist you've got to be relatively depoliticized. so you're kind of broadly liberal but you can't be like guess what I'm a socialist and I think that like you need Medicare for all or like Mm. austerity is a bag of shit you know you can't be saying that stuff and it's also, you can't... You've got to be a kind of drag which is safe for straight people like me to consume and feel easy about. It can't... There's a yeah. limit to how challenging it can be.
1: But if if that's going to be the case, then you can't continuously be calling drag punk.
0: Because
1: mm. it's not. That's the least punk thing in the whole world, that I'm going to sanitise this and make it safe for everybody. You know, like, I... Change what I do. Mm, let me just be Donald Trump for a second. What the fuck <laughs> just... happened there? Oh my god, um, I I absolutely change the kind of material that I do depending on who my audience is. You know, so if I know that my audience is full of eighteen-year-old kids, I'm not going to sing "Zing went the strings of my heart." That makes no sense. But equally, if I'm doing an audience of. Uh, 70 year olds you know I'm doing an old people's home then maybe I will do that maybe maybe that will be something that'll happen and likewise I'm not going to talk about um the complete restructuring of the socioeconomics of the UK on a Friday night in a pub that's not going to happen because that's just not an appropriate platform for me to oh that's do why
0: that. I don't have any friends <laughs>
1: <laughs> because that's what I'm doing and about. I mean partly because that's not what I'm being paid yeah. to do, you know what i mean but if i'm if I'm making a theater show and that is very clearly uh what this show is about, so we did a, a show Dancing Bear, which was um about sex, gender, and religion, you know all we needed to do was throw in some politics there, and we've got the the whole lot of it um and so that very clearly is about that and that is the product that I, that is there for us to talk about at that point. So uh, I don't think that you have to always talk about everything all the time um but equally I think that there there is an an onus on you as actually as a drag queen um to be talking about politics and talking about um how those politics uh, interact and oh, oh my earphone uh interact and affect um people's people's lives. you know, there is a responsibility to being a drag queen, I think.
0: so one thing that I've always been interested in about reality TV because I'm fascinated by reality tv. i I love when you can see the stitches almost, or you can see the strings. and when you know something's produced, I feel I love it for some reason. And I was thinking about the particular challenge of drag race because, Davina Decampo Campo represents probably many aspects of your personality, but is also a character. And then you've got the de-dragged you who's on the show and interacting with the other queens and doing the confessionals. And there's an element of performance there. Like, did drag race in some ways trouble the distinction between the drag and not drag you because you're having to perform all the time
1: for it? Um, there isn't. I mean, honestly, I'm. you know, UK drag is very uh, character-based and mine is less of that. Um, so Divina is really just an extension of uh, Owen. Oh, my God, it's weird <laughs> even saying my own name. That's, I don't know who that person is, really. Um, you know, I kind of am Divina, really. Um, I spend most of my time uh, working and thinking and... Orienting my life around the work that I make, so um, so there there isn't much of the other person. They are a, a homogenous, cohesive whole. Um, and in terms of performing uh, on the show, the only times where I really thought about performing were once I was on the runway um, or on the main stage. I never I never really thought about that performative aspect behind the scenes, um, that is just actually how I am. Um, And that was one of the only things that, that was my only agenda going in actually, was that I was going to be as much myself as you, you know, you can't completely be yourself because it's a very false environment. Um, But that was the only thing that I really wanted to do was to try and be as much myself as possible.
0: But you have also been performing for a long time. So maybe there was an element of comfort with like, well, performing is me. Like, that's what I do all the time. That's how my life is structured. Uh,
1: yes, absolutely. And if 2020 has shown me anything, that my self-worth is completely anchored <laughs> to my work. <laughs> <laughs> I want to die. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
0: God, that's what I've hated about lockdown. It's like, I'm spending so much time with myself and that's horrible. Like, yeah. you know... I- kind of suck. I need other people to take the edge off.
1: Exactly. Like, I'm too miserable most of the time. My, external those little-
0: validation. Don't knock it.
1: Those gremlins in my brain need need those other people going.
0: Yeah, you rock
1: <laughs> for me not to feel like I'm worthless.
0: <laughs> I know you're just like, where's the serotonin gone?
1: There's, there, that feels like a '90s grunge track. Where's the serotonin oh my gone? God. <laughs> so I was born in
0: 1992, so it was just enough time to absorb some of that grunge, like before it was on its way out. Like... A bit
1: Savage Garden.
0: <laughs> oh my god! I think my sister really liked garbage. She was like, "Yeah." Shirley Manson was like, <laughs> "The Step shit."
1: Bye. <laughs>
0: Whereas for me, I would, like, had my pop culture from, you know, when I was, like, 11 upwards. Grime was kicking off in such a big way in okay. London. But I also really loved goths. So I was, like, wearing black lipstick and listening to, like, you know, Boy Better Know and stuff like that. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, it was just really incongruous. <laughs> I'm like, grime plus I want to be a goth. And then I realised that it's quite hard to be a brown goth because none of the makeup was made for you. So I just looked really ashy all the time.
1: I mean, welcome to my world. Oh, God.
0: <laughs> this, is, this is like the strategic political alliance between, like, drag queens and failed brown goths. That's who'll deliver the revolution. <laughs> a red flag and a silver dress.
1: <laughs> I'm ready.
0: I mean, I, I think maybe I want to ask you another contentious thing, except I'm not sure if it's actually okay, contentious okay. or if it's just purely a product of my imagination. And that is... whole snatch game thing of you and bag of chips both wanting to do Thatcher because I wanted to see your Thatcher I kind of imagined that maybe there'd be like some interesting layering and stuff going on there and I'm not sure if it was like the editing and how reaction shots were put together but I felt like I detected like an element of discomfort from you and maybe was that to do with Bagger has openly voted Conservative, so she's not coming at it from as critical a point of view as you might have. Like,
1: was I imagining that or was that real? Okay. I I should probably clear up some little bits about Bagger. Um, a lot of what Bagger does online is just for effect. So she's a troll. And she spent, I mean, before Drag Race, she spent at least the, the last eight years trolling everybody as much as she possibly could. Uh, you know so she'd be saying things I absolutely love them yes and, and she's just trolling people um, you know because we've not had a government that's been as, as far right as, as the, the current mm. crop are um, I mean for a very 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 long time you know there's not been people in power uh, who have held such right wing views um, for a very long time uh, so she's, you know, been trolling people. Just so, I, you know, I'm just going to put that out there. Um, and in terms of Snatch Game, as soon as I saw Bagger, I knew that she was going to be doing Thatcher. You know, so I walked into that workroom where I was like, oh, sh- oh, no, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. <laughs> um, but go, like looking at it now, Do I think I would have done a better job than her? No, because that uncomfort, that discomfort that you saw was because I sat down in that chair and I lost my mind. I absolutely lost my mind. Um, I I mean, sometimes you have a good day, other times you have a bad day. Mm -hmm. You know, like we did the puppet challenge, which is essentially the same thing. Just make it up on the spot. Everybody else went to pieces and I... I was i just was like yeah i can totally do this this is fine let's just make it up off we go because i was relaxed by that point snatch game i was still so in my head and i was just waiting for somebody to tap me on the shoulder and say i'm really sorry we made a mistake we meant a different Davina. you need to leave um you know that pure imposter syndrome thing so if i'd done thatcher do i think i would have done a good job no i don't think i i would actually
0: oh really not
1: on that day not on that day i i just was not in the right place for it I would have still sat in that chair and gone... Oh, save me! Somebody help me! I'm having a breakdown! Um, yeah, so...
0: I mean, do you, do you feel like you'd want to return and do another Snatch Game now that you've got that kind of experience and confidence? Or are you just like, that's cancelled,
1: that's over, never mean, I mean, I mean I'm probably cancelled anyway now after saying what I've said, so... Um, <laughs> <laughs> so would I want to go back? I think, though if, if they asked me for All Stars, I I probably would go back. Am I desperate to go back and prove myself in Snatch Game? No, that's not really what I do. That's not my um, that's not my modus operandi for drag. You know, like I am just very honest and open. And there are things which obviously is a joke, and then there are things which obviously are are not a joke when I'm when I'm working and uh, and performing. And and it's it's about how how you, as an audience, read that. Um, I don't pretend to be other people.
0: Another thing that I found really interesting about the range of things that you did was you came in and I was, like, campy, like, you know, very, like, British, like, (laughs) room above a pub drag, I love it, da-da-da. And then it was the, like posh on a penny challenge where you made that amazing outfit and trouser out of the laundry bags which again is very british because i was just like on walthamstow high street those are the bags which you see hanging out of the shops all the time but was like very avant-garde you could see like the influences of pete burns it was beautifully tailored and i suppose i mean this is a weirdly big question to ask but how do you assemble that range of cultural interests like what, for you, are the things that you've returned to again and again?
1: Well, you're old. You're old. That's that's all it is. You know, I've just had a lot more time to cook than everybody else. So, um, you know, like, Blue is an amazing makeup artist, but has she had as much time to cook about socio-political stuff and about gender theory and about dance history? And, you know, no, she just hasn't had as much time. So... So I've just had a long time to read and I love reading and I love finding things out and learning stuff. Um and I'd done I'd done a film with Sixth Finger Studios. Um it was one of those random mm. acts things for Channel 4. And um, they do loads and loads of uh um like high fashion editorial shoots. Um and and I'm like fashion is If you look at any of the clothes that uh, Owen actually wears, clearly fashion is not. um, Do you own a pair of cargo Uh, pants? Be honest with me. No, I don't own cargo pants. I'm a (laughs) flares queen. Like flares, big stompy boots, um, that kind of very 70s, never been back in style fashion.
0: I I have flares. I have some rust-coloured silk flares. I'm just waiting waiting for them to be cool.
1: I'm not waiting. (laughs) I never have. I'm just going to wear what I like, and that's what I like. Um, but they working with them really got me into, you know, looking at, at fashion. So I'd been looking at McQueen and Westwood and then some of Bowie's stuff and um, going through the avant-garde outfits that people like Bjork wear. Um, so looking at the sort of avant-garde outfits of different um n- musicians and pop stars and stuff like that um those were those were the things that i'd been looking at from working with this company um that that i just had those references in my head and so i was thinking okay what out of all of this that's on on the floor in front of me um what do i what do i think i could make that would wouldn't look out of place on a runway you know, so I was looking at real runway rather than, oh, it's a drag runway. You know, I was looking at um what is an honest interpretation of what i I would put on a you know if I was doing a collection mm. what what would I want to put on on the runway and that was that was one of the things that I sort of came up with
0: I mean, so I guess to kind of like round off a bit, um drag has obviously been massively impacted by the pandemic, just like the entirety of the performing arts has. And there's been a bit of controversy recently about Trinity The Tuck doing a drag brunch, everyone's going crazy online. I'm not going to ask for your take on that specific situation. What I am going to ask about is how do, you know, drag queens navigate between having to make a living and perform whilst also being responsible? During a pandemic. And there's a very judgmental social media culture around if you're doing the wrong thing, you know.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, some of that is just about... Um, would... I I try and kind of frame stuff as... Um, you know, with that, would I be happy if my grandma came? Mm. You know, so if my... I'm obviously going to sing some filthy songs and make some dirty jokes. But would I be happy if she was in that environment? And if I'm not happy, if I don't feel like she would be safe in that environment, then I probably shouldn't be doing it. Um, So in terms of a global pandemic, I think that that's a good rule of thumb. Um, And I, I think that in terms of um, branding deals and people that you associate with or work with, I think that there's a similar rule of thumb that if you, if you feel like you would be judging somebody for working with that person, then you probably shouldn't do it either. You know, if you're not into, uh, exploiting people in, uh, the third world, then maybe don't be buying human hair wigs. I don't know. (laughs) Maybe that's something we could have a conversation about. Uh, and there's also, um, you know, some of the the makeup that we all use, the shimmer that's in it comes from little kids who are mining it. Mm. And it's terrible for their lungs and it causes long-term problems. You know, so you should be looking for um, synthetic versions of that. If you're not happy that... Children are going down mine so that you can have a shimmery face.
0: I mean, so this is kind of almost returning to the punk point, because there are some people who think that punk is about cynicism almost. You're just so cynical about everything. You don't give a fuck. There you go. And there's another way which goes, for actually, are you serious about social justice and taking on power? And that's an element of punk. So thinking about if you return to drag being punk, do you go for full cynicism or do you go no, I actually have a social conscience and I don't want to act on yeah, it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't feel like that was what Punk was really about anyway. I think Punk was just about challenging the establishment and saying this isn't the only way that you can do things and it's definitely not the right way that you do things. Um, and I think that we can see that, you know, right now, we've got the, uh, the Minister Against Cronyism and Corruption is married to somebody who's just been given £21 billion and thrown it down the bog. <laughs> well... This is not the right way to do things. That is not a, a good foundation for a, a properly democratic society that we are literally just handing out um, billions of pounds, millions and billions of pounds to people who are, you know, Tory ministers' mates. That is not a, a good system.
0: This is like very far away from the drag thing now, but do you think that the kind of rampant cronyism and corruption. Any other country, we would call it corruption, which has taken place during the pandemic. It doesn't seem to have broken through as a big story. People aren't as angry about billions being splashed around on these contracts, but they were furious about MPs' expenses. Like, what's that about? That they see some things as corruption and other things are just fine, normal.
1: Because they're not poor people. Mm. It's just, we've had you know, the last 30 years of poverty porn and vilifying people right at the bottom that, well, but they're rich. They're, that's that's what I want. I want to be rich as well. I want to stand on the top of people's heads with my boots so that I can get to the top. And I just think that that's a really unhealthy um, attitude for a society to have. I mean, some of it is is that we're in the middle of a global pandemic and um, it, I think in terms of people's uh, list of priorities, is that the top of their priority or is it more that actually they just want things to work and for us to get out of this? One last thing. Okay.
0: Can my drag name be Cescifo de Campo?
1: Yes. But what does Chesquifo mean? It means mean?
0: Disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> and it was what gino decampo was like yelling on saturday kitchen when he got pissed off with that girl for putting salad cream on a lasagna so he was like chesky for so i just thought
1: i mean he's wrong but yeah that's a great word
0: you're, you're a salad cream on lasagna person
1: listen salad cream mayonnaise get it on there love that i'm not sure love if that's what you actually
0: Because so my partner is from barnsley and he's just like i will make like a beautifully spiced thing and he's just like squirting mayo all over the place
1: i am all about the mayo love 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 it sorry. at last we
0: found something that we disagree on i like <laughs> i like mayonnaise on a crunchy chip but you know i'm bougie i want my triple quick chip with some homemade mayo it's not squirty salad cream on on lasagna that's not
1: no. <laughs> I'm, I'm into it i'm sorry i like that
0: all right, so that's what you're going to get cancelled for. That's what I've decided. Yeah. Um, but Davina, thank you so, so much for joining us. Um, pleasure to have you.
1: Thank you for having me. What a joy!
0: So that was the most fun I've ever had during an interview. If you enjoyed it and you want to find some more Banging content, go to navaramedia.com. You can subscribe to us on YouTube, you can follow us on Twitter, on Facebook and Instagram, and you should also uh, keep an eye on us on iTunes. And if you really liked that content, or you really hated it, and you want to improve it, you could go to navara.media forward slash support to give us the equivalent of one hour of your wage per month, so we can keep working around the clock to bring you the kind of news and analysis that you just don't find anywhere else. Happy New Year and I'll see you in a bit. This broadcast is brought to you by Novara Media. Go to novaramedia.com support.